first stat page. And here we go. Welcome to episode <laughs> 70 of Off the Crossbar. <laughs> and it is Kyle speaking at the beginning, which is usually not the case unless I'm speaking accidentally because we're doing this unsupervised. That's right. The patriarch himself. <laughs> Matt yeah. is not here today. And so it's just Trevor and me. And we're recording because that's what we do. We're in service of the people. Hello, Trevor. Hello, Kyle. What is that that you are drinking? And why is it a tall boy and non alcoholic? It's not. Or is that alcoholic? It's just, it's just a gigantic, tall, it's just a tall drink. What kind of drink, though? It's just, uh, it's just seltzer. We're just drinking seltzer water. But it's definitely a tall boy seltzer water, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a two, it's a Monday. <laughs> it's not a Tuesday yet. <laughs> Today just felt like two diff, two full days. Um, yeah. So we're here. Matt's enjoying a lovely vacation. In fact, I'm going to start out social hour by um, giving Matt's updates because he's been sending pictures of the trip that he, from the trip that he's on, I guess, and also of the trip that he's on. And he's on this like West Coast journey um, up and down the California, Oregon. Is he going to Washington as well? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He's going to a lot of I mean, places. On the- I'm pretty sure he's going to Washington. And the evidence of that is that he sent us a picture of oh. Sean Kemp's cannabis. Oh, I didn't realize. I hadn't read his <laughs> updates. Yes. Okay. So is he in Washington? Shot from Eastern Washington in our drive to Seattle. Okay. So he's going to Seattle now. Yeah, okay. So uh, Matt sent some lovely images, including some very pretty glass art, which um, is the Ch- Chihuly Garden and Glass, uh, I guess, exhibit. I don't really know. Um, but if you've ever been to Abravanel Hall, apparently... The same person who did that gigantic glass piece did some stuff up there in Washington. I don't know if it's like where their main spot is. Matt had some uh, delicious, excellent gluten-free Chinese food that he ate in a, a rainy park, which is My like an extremely Seattle to thing to yeah. say. And then appeared to have visited the venue The Neptune to see Soccer Mommy. And that looks like a really cool venue and a really cool venue to see a good band i'm like really liking the look of that place yeah it looks like to describe it i mean it's like a theater <laughs> yeah it looks like an old like an old classic theater like it, yeah like an old timey theater but like super modernized and updated <laughs> but still keeping that old like i don't know in springville we have the the villa which is just like the oldest movie theater on the planet Wait, and it what? still like keeps that like charm of being like an old theater even though they've like updated it Wait, how it's kind of like that there? it's sorry it's in springville it's in springville on the main street it's called it, Ville. I, and i haven't been there in like 10 years so it's probably a little bit different but it's the place like growing up it's been there since forever yeah, that's crazy um but uh yeah, like that's that's what it reminds me of. Wait. Is just like a very old Villa theater style movie theater. Springville's Villa Theater. Wait, I have never been there, but I have, which is crazy because I spent like half my childhood in Springville, 
the Villa Theater. I don't even know what it looks like. Why is this like ungoogleable? It's not the Art City Playhouse, right? Like that's oh, it, it, might be, that? it might be called the Art City Playhouse now. Well, yeah. No, there there is also Art City Playhouse. Wait, Villa Theater was the one that was in like Sugar House. I'm so confused. Is there? But there is Springville's Villa Theater. Because I have an article from 2010 that says, Springville, the Villa Theater may new may get new life if residents can gather enough money to refurbish the former movie theater and playhouse. City officials may form a foundation to bring the theater back to life as a center of the arts. Um, it's under city ownership as of 2010. Wow. Well, so I'll have the, to make the, a drive down Main Street. And you're see what's right, going on but I just don't know. It's like th- when I Google the Villa Theater, it's it's pulling up that one that got turned into the rug shop in like in Mill Creek. If you know what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. It's that's not the one I'm talking about. I know. And then this is just like a tiny little theater. That's it's got to be like right next to the Art City Playhouse, right? Well, I think. Art City Playhouse. Let me see. Yeah, maybe Hold it's on. the same. So the Google okay, the maps. Art City. I'm I'm, lo- I'm looking at utahtheaters.info and the Art City Playhouse is the R- Rivoli Theater, the Villa Theater, Villa Playhouse Theater, 254 South Main Street, Springville. That sounds right. That's oh, it's, right it's all the same. Okay, so it, okay, here Did we go. Just buy here we it go. And put all of it together. Yep. Okay, so the 300 seat Rivoli Theater was built built in 1927 by. Emil Ostland. A sound system was added to the theater within a year of its opening. Between 62 and 67, the theater was renamed the Villa Theater. About 1977, the name changed to Villa Playhouse Theater. The theater is now known as Art City Playhouse. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. On, I, on Google Maps, it's called the Rivoli Theater. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's it's it. got all three the, of those names. That's really weird. Um, that's cool. I lo- I yeah, man, I love that place. Sorry. So Matt was at Soccer Mommy at the <laughs> Neptune. Um, yeah, Springville. Springville's a. It's got a nice, nice little uh, chunk of my heart. It's a great. Well, I don't know. Anyway, glad it was, it was a fun time to spend a lot of my childhood there. My grandparents uh, lived there for almost my whole life. Well, that's where your boy went to school. You went to Springville High School? Yep. Wow, you and my mom. Class my of mom. 07. Yeah, my mom was... I don't think your mom was in my graduating class, but... <laughs> yeah, well, who can say? Weird, <laughs> weird stuff over here. And then Matt sent a very delightful image of um, some fog and a rolling hill and some pine trees, which looks very Washington. Um, from eastern Washington on his drive into Seattle. So... That's pretty great. He also drove by, as Trevor mentioned, um, Sean Hemp's Cannabis, which, wait, Sean Kemp, sorry. Sean Kemp, the famous Seattle supersonic basketball player. I said Sean Hemp, which, Which why is it not called that? I don't know. That's actually a good Um, question. And he went to Mercer Street Books uh, as well. Looks like he's having a great time. Hello, Matt. I hope you're enjoying. Good old Matt time. Like, all of this is the most Matt stuff that he could possibly have sent us it really is um okay so that's exciting trevor what are you what have you been up to since we talked last i think it's only been since uh probably last wednesday i think that was when we had that game against dallas we recorded right after yeah um we had halloween that's right and I think I finally reached the age, um, or my kid has reached the age, I should say, where they're into things that I don't know exist, mm. which is a weird like parent moment. Um, cause like I'm a young parent, I feel like I get 
young kids stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean, um, I tend to know what the kids are up to. Yeah. May not necessarily always be my cup of tea, but like I usually get it. Mm-hmm. They found um, this, like, I don't know if it's a web series or a TV show or what, but it's called Poppy the Performer. I, don't, I have no idea what Which that is. Which is something that I've never ever heard of, but basically it's like a TV show, but each episode is comprised of a whole bunch of like two or three minute like clips. Um, or it might just be a whole bunch of three minute clips. Like it might just be totally online. But anyway. Oh, wait, I've seen this actually. The whole thing is like every episode, it's like three main characters and they all die in different ways. And it's <laughs> like funny. Yeah. I don't get it. That's the other thing is I'm definitely like old enough now where my kid is into stuff that I just I've don't seen, get. I've seen memes with that character, but I have not, I don't know anything beyond that. Yeah. That's, that's what my kid went for as, or went to, went to Halloween as. As Poppy. Poppy, the main one with the like candy yeah. cane stripe outfit and the hat and a knife and fake blood all over their face. Nice. Yeah. So it was fun. Um, they paid the appropriate amount of taxes on their candy, <laughs> <laughs> which is just about the only Halloween tradition we have in our yeah, Family. did your kid uh, go on Saturday and Sunday? Because there was an att- there was an opportunity to double dip if you were uh, um, a secular child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we went on uh, Saturday. Uh, they went with all their cousins and went around their cousins' neighborhood on Saturday. And then I brought it up. I was like, if you want to go on Sunday, we could. Like, we can find a place to go. Yeah. Because around my place, like, there was, like, two houses that had their light on and we saw like four kids around the entire neighborhood on yeah. Sunday night. So I was thinking we could try to find a neighborhood that might've been trick or treating, but no, Charlie was just like, no, we're not going to, I'm not interested in it. I got enough candy. So nice. That was well, it. Shout out to Charlie. Hope the candy was enjoyable. I had like, I, I try not to eat very much candy. Like I like ginger candy and it's not like too sugary. I feel I had like some of the stuff my parents like that was left over and I felt like I had like six pieces of candy or whatever and my stomach just hurt and I was just like, okay, well, yeah, did my I best. Definitely, definitely reached the age where I eat like a Reese's, a Snickers, and then like some of the Twizzlers and I'm like, eh, we're done with candy. Yeah, that is I had all the, it was like, I had like sweet tarts and like some other stuff. And it was just like, like, uh, there was a very, it was like a spooky specific brand of Skittles this year that had like, they had sour. It was like a a few of the Skittles in the package were like sour Skittles, but they weren't like the traditional sour Skittles with like the coating of that stuff that kind of hurts your mouth after a while. It was just like, so it was like good sour Skittles. Great. Like secret sour Skittles. Yeah. Like you wouldn't have known it was a sour Skittle, but anyway so yeah i had some of those and then my tummy hurt yeah i let's see so thanksgiving or thanksgiving <laughs> it's already <laughs> november though which sucks kind of um yeah so halloween just did like friend stuff over the weekend it was great there's this um let's see so that was friday i went to like the we we had a party at my friend's house on friday and then on saturday and how did the party on Friday go? It was very normal. <laughs> Everything was above board. And then Saturday <laughs> was the game. And then later that night, I actually went to like uh, these like haunted trail part of the corn maze out in West Jordan. And it was honestly pretty good. I, I liked it. And then Sunday, there's this podcast I really like called yeah but still and every year one of the hosts like spends the month of October putting together 
um, two Halloween episodes, two Halloween specials. And he, what he does is he, um, essentially gathers stories from, it's like almost entirely people who listen to the podcast and they share like their scary stories that they have with him. Um, and it is super, super good. Like it, and it's a variety of scary stuff. Like some are like actual kind of more paranormal dealing stuff. Like they, people that experienced, uh, you know, your classic style ghost stories, but then others are like, like this kid that was in his dorm in Michigan or this house that he was living in, um, when he, when he was going to school in Michigan or maybe it was Wisconsin. I don't know. One of those States, like this dude who was like on the loose, like broke into his, into his house and like came into his room and was like trying to talk to him. And he was like a violent sex offender or something. He was like literally running from the police and he took refuge in this, listener of this podcast's room so there's like stuff like that and like last year there was this guy who was doing like assistant work for some film producer in the middle east and he i I think it was the middle east or something like that and he ended up getting like essentially put into indentured servitude and like couldn't leave and uh like that was his scary story so it's and there's like ufo stuff it's just your it's just a whole variety anyway so last year during COVID, uh, Carly and I like queued up those two episodes. It's they're usually about an hour and a half each. So three hours. And we just went on like a really long drive and listened to those. Um, we did the same thing this year. So we drove like up through East Canyon or we drove like immigration, then East Canyon, and then through little immigration Canyon to Parley's. And then we went over to like Midway and Heber and went up Wasatch state park or whatever. Um, and then home through Provo Canyon. And it was, it was great. And just listening to these spooky stories, it was a great Sunday. So that's like my new favorite Sunday tradition. Did you do it during the day? We did those ones during the day. Yeah. But it was like, it was a good day for like the spooky story kind of because yeah, I wouldn't do all those drive that night because we'd probably just hit a deer or something. But, um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, kind of of missing half the fun if you do all that drive at night. That's, that's right. It was really pretty. Um, yeah, like it's obviously like late fall, especially for up there, um, through like the mountains, but like, especially around like the Provo river and midway, uh, in Heber, I guess just really, really pretty right now. And there's just snow. There's like a lot of snow in the mountains. It's, it's cool. What else? Yeah. I think that's it. But, uh, yeah, then, oh, then we watched the exorcist last night, like the original one from 1973. And, Honestly, like really good movie. Uh, and I can't imagine what that would have been like to see in theaters in 1973. It probably would have scared me for life, scarred me for life also. But have you seen that movie? I saw no. So here's the thing. I now I think I can enjoy just like straight up scary movies. Yeah. And but for several years, like I could watch some of them but then there got to be a point where i was like nope okay i'm done and it wasn't that like i was scared or terrified maybe it was but i just (laughs) stopped enjoying the movie like i I kind of gotcha i wasn't always sure if it was like i just thought it was fake or i just didn't enjoy the story or it just got to be like about jump scares which i genuinely hate like movies that are like scary because of jump scares i just can't do like paranormal activity I just hated that that whole style. 
Mm-hmm. But I get it. it. It seemed like there was always something that I would just be like, okay, I'm done. I don't need to watch this anymore. And The Exorcist, I watched like one or two like of the, not the key scenes, but like the highlights. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. This yeah, year, I get it. This year was a year that I was like, going into October, uh, our friend Alex Vehar uh, from the Trib started tweeting about uh, he was going to watch one scary movie like every day. Through Ooh, October, a lot of movies, yeah. And he would just tweet like a quick review about it, like every single time. It was kind of fun. And when he said he was going to start doing that, I was like, "That's a good idea. I should do like yeah. one a week, like start watching horror movies." And then I just never did, um, just yeah. because I, I could never like get excited about horror movies. It's just not anything I've ever really been into. Yeah, man, I I, I love it. I like there are a lot of like I had a friend ask me for recommendations for movies I thought were really good or like really creepy or I thought would be good so I told her like some that I really liked and she uh, I think the two I told her were The Witch and I think I I think I told her to watch The Witch Hereditary and Midsummer. they're all A24 movies I was like those are I was like those are all really creepy movies I think you'd like those I I thought and then she's like she watched the witch in midsummer and she was like she she said like she thought the witch was like just so stupid and thought midsummer wasn't scary and i was just like i I think some people go into movies like um, horror movies like that with like the intent of being like oh i'm not gonna get scared i'm gonna think this is stupid and i understand why people do that and it it, it's just like some people are just wired that way and i get it i just like to like let myself try to get like I like to let myself try to get scared. And so I, I try to suspend as much disbelief as possible. Um, and I just like to get sucked in if I can, even if it like, yeah, anyway, I like I like to be freaked out in a movie. I think that's a fun feeling. Um, yeah, I like the scary yeah. movies that I like are the ones, and I'm trying to remember the name of the one. That's a really good example. Um, but the movies that are like, they have like a plot and a story and it's more of like a thriller that is scary rather mm. than like a scary movie oh, yeah with the I plot see so like uh the strangers is one of them it's a great one that i really like um and it's the one with that i can't remember the name of it's the one with daniel radcliffe it's called like the woman in black or the woman in the window or oh something it's, like uh, that it's uh i've seen that um uh wait what's it called it's not the Uh, woman in the window the woman in black the woman in In black black. yeah Yeah, that's one that one's really good i really really like that movie yeah i uh it's yeah it's it's a fun thing i I like using letterboxd for like finding movies to watch and keep keeping track of all the movies i have watched so yeah because i don't do a movie podcast anymore so um i've been meaning to ask you and this might not be the best uh, venue for it but last i heard you guys were like just going on a hiatus because that podcast is pretty intensive are you guys ever like gonna do oh, that again or is yeah, it just still totally on hiatus? i would like to do that again I, we have we haven't made plans to do it again like the last the last one we did was um it was Gotta one of those like, like kissing ago. booth movies <laughs> yeah. on netflix which were just insane so like we had this balance where it was hard we were we, it was hard for us to pick what movies we wanted to watch because like it's it's really fun to talk about bad movies but it's also really annoying to watch like just like really bad movies so like the last movie that we did october 19th 2020 
the title of that one that my friend that said was the kissing booth Two ends the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So that was like the end of that season. Um, but like, uh, we'd like to do it again. So it's my friend Connor, my friend Graciela and me and Graciela, she works like in movies. Um, and she's like super busy and Connor is the one that edits the podcast and he, like would edit a bunch of clips it was a really high production podcast because he was yeah. editing like a ton of the clips from the movies into the into the podcast and it took him a ton of time so i get why we had to take a break but we were bouncing between like bad movies and good movies and it's tough like <laughs> yeah i don't know uh it's good though i missed that podcast we should do that again well um, i enjoyed it and if that means I, anything i think you guys mean, should start it up again it's it was called cinema soulmates it's it was a yeah we should do that there's some there's a lot of good stuff in there anyway it's definitely a kind of podcast that like you can it's not like this one where it's like if you miss a week it's like don't ever listen to it you can go back to 100 you can go back to listen to any of those because they're just they're all timeless they're all about movies like a lot of movies came out like years ago like we watched a jiggly with uh jennifer lopez and um and how was ben affleck ben affleck yeah how was that one it was terrible. I've heard good things. And we, and we watched like movie. cats, but then we watched um, like I'm thinking of ending things. Like that is like a heartbreaking, like horrifyingly devastating movie. But it was so good. Um, and then we got like in a big fight about like I mean it was like a legitimate argument, but like we're not a fight about Spring Breakers, which I thought was a fantastic movie. So yeah, I'm just looking through the whole list. It was it was good anyway. So we we can talk ourselves. So there's there's some news. There's a little bit of news. Um, uh, Major League Soccer, the Major League Soccer League, released their end of year award nominations um, for newcomer of the year. Both Anderson Julio and Rubio Rubin were nominated for that award. For defender of the year, Glad and Herrera were were both nominated. Um, for young player of the year, which is players younger than 22 years old, Achoa was nominated. Um, and then Rubio Rubin was also nominated for comeback player of the year, which begs the question, what is a comeback player and what is that defined as? Because this is his first year in MLS. <laughs> so, so I posted this on the Slack. If somebody asked, and like, this is a joke answer. I don't know what the actual criteria is for this award, but comeback player of the year is a really silly award. And it's really silly that they like some years, like force it. Like there's not really a player this year that like, yeah, is a good option for comeback player of the year. At least not that I know, but it's basically just like the award for the player that like either, got seriously injured or or like got cancer or something like that and then came back after that and kept playing and like yep. that's heroic and we should reward that and like acknowledge that and that's a big deal but sometimes it also is the award that's like you were very good or super hyped and then you disappeared off the face of the earth and then you reappeared in MLS and turns out you're still kind of a good yeah. player and I think that's the category that Rubio Rubin falls into. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, and Zach McMath was also nominated for Humanitarian of the Year. He just received an award from RSL the other day, actually, about that type of thing. Um, but it should also be mentioned that the Landon Donovan MLS MVP nom- 
nominees. I forgot they named the award, the Landon yeah. Donovan Award. Um, you'll see on that list uh, both Aaron Herrera and Demir Krylock, which is interesting. Um, I uh, Trevor pointed this out to me before, but it looks like every single goalkeeper of the year, uh, every single goalkeeper in the league that starts for their team appears to have been nominated. Um, and then also uh, the last thing was the... Uh, where'd it go? The Siggy Schmidt MLS Coach of the Year nominee includes Pablo Mastroeni, a RSL intern. But it also includes Tyron Marshall, Cincinnati intern. It also includes... Is, is that, again, just every single coach? <laughs> I think so. And like, also... N- not to dog on Pablo or Ty- uh, Tyron, but like... There yeah. are other better coaches in the league that we should probably. I mean, it's like Ochoa looks, with the this list appears to be year, like uh, like every team, most of them. Yeah, like it's um, definitely also, a preliminary list for Vancouver. It says uh, Vanny Sartini instead of saying interim. It says acting, and I wonder what the difference is there, or if it's just a Vancouver thing because they're in Canada. <laughs> it's just a Canada word for. I'm like, why interim. does it say acting by them, but then interim by Javier Perez? Oh, that's Toronto, Javier Perez. So it's not a Canada thing. Why does it say acting that's very it's odd. a it's a west coast east coast it's he's but, just no, i have no idea i think it's straight up like ending. the coach not the coach the team just like released a statement that was like he's the acting head coach yeah and you'd and have to think straight that up just a wins it this year oh of course he does um so yeah that seems like they, they also released the ref of the year and assistant referee referee of the year nominees jair marufo uh, Robert Sibiga and Armando Villarreal are the ones who are nominated for Ref of the Year. So shout out to okay. Jair in particular. Good for them. Uh, yeah, cool name, I guess. Shares it with someone else who's less cool. But anyway. Wait, um, who does he share it with that's less cool? Jair Bolsonaro. Oh, the okay. of Brazil. <laughs> Sorry, my that's brain the, was still... A, that's like, the only person I know that has... I mean, I'm not familiar with a ton of Brazilian folks, but uh, I've never heard that name other than just those two guys. I'm sure it's a lot more common. But My brain was still on like MLS and Jair Benitez is who I thought you were talking about. And I was like, that's oh, a really Benitez. weird person to really dislike i'm just like i got very strong opinions about how much i do not like jair former fc dallas wingers yeah i mean i would make sense i hate fc dallas i just never liked them as a jair benitez is up to these days hang on if only i had the way if only you could google it so Oh, Trevor retired for like four years makes sense yeah that, that does make sense um so we played a game on Saturday and we played against San Jose and this was a very important game for us because I don't know if people remember, but we failed to get points in Chicago. We played this game against a San Jose team that has been mathematically and emotionally <laughs> eliminated from the playoffs. And um, they came into Rio Tinto uh, and we were pretty, I mean, we hadn't, lo- we hadn't, we, we had won seven straight at home. Is that correct? Or had we just not lost seven straight? I can't no, remember. We had one. That yeah. was the the big deal. We had like longer undefeated streaks, like much, much yes, longer, but right, we never right. won seven that games matters. in a row. Yeah. So <laughs> we 
<laughs> we played San Jose, and this game was was extremely strange. Um, it was one of the weirdest games I've ever been to, and uh, not in a good way at all, actually. So, do you want to walk us through the game? T- Let's walk through the first half because you and I were you and I were in the press box together. We watched this together. Yeah. Um, it was it was fascinating. <laughs> we it, were, was, it was an early afternoon game. It was like a one p.m. or one thirty. Yeah, one thirty game time start or kickoff or whatever. Anyway, um, game started off honestly pretty optimistic. Um, we were possessing we were penetrating we were doing all the good things that you want your team to be doing justin glad was making marauding runs marauding yeah. marauding? Marauding. marauding runs down the left hand side um got a couple balls in a couple dangerous places and then wouldn't you know it in the ninth minute um a lovely interplay between albert and demir leads to a goal one nothing yeah. nine minutes in we're yeah, cruising it- it was great. Like, yeah, leading up to that, it looked like, I mean, we could have scored before that. Um, and the goal itself, the play was kept alive by Andrew Brody, like making like a kind of acrobatic um, midair deflection of the ball to get it back into our possession as we almost give it up. The ball ended up like at Albert next feet on like the far, uh, the far left side, I guess our attacking left. He played a very nice little one, two with Demir and we score and I'm like, okay, we're cruising. We look good. And we're looking like we're coming out of this. Like RSL has not been a uh, first half scoring team for good chunks of this season. So I was like nine minutes in things are good. We had been dominating and we had continued, we continued to dominate after this. Right. Yeah, I mean, for, we for several minutes um, in the 27th minute, uh, we I didn't, shouldn't say we forced, but they're uh, one of their center backs, Alanis, got a yellow card, which is usually a good sign. Yeah. Um, especially early in the game. You want their yellow card or their center backs playing a little bit scared, a little bit cautious, which is great. Um, and that's about the last good thing that happened in this game. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I need to, I want to, I want to go back and verify. So like, I mean, it, it really can't be overstated, like how many chances we had in, in that first like 30 minutes of this game. Like we were really taking it to San Jose, um, in a way that I was like, there's no way we don't score at least two more goals like this half maybe like everyone was getting chances like Miram's like running down the field very open Demir is getting shots in the box um Rubio Rubin is getting in behind the defense and getting like you know point blank saves from uh forcing point blank saves out of the keeper Albert's having shots that are like deflected by defenders in the in the box and it's like okay there's no way that this doesn't end well but then like at the same time Anytime San Jose was on the break, like they didn't have, they weren't like getting a lot of shots, but they had a lot of like breaks that were like, if the pass was played a little bit better then they have somebody who's about to get a shot on frame from like eight yards away, but it doesn't count as a shot, but it's like that ball rolled through the middle of the 18 and like, there just wasn't somebody there. Like that would just happen when we had so many, we had pushed so many people forward, we only had two men back and they would get these chances on the other end. So well, in one of you, these moments, oh, sorry. Sorry to cut you off. I was just going to say to give you a couple of the numbers through the first 30 minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes. Uh, RSL had close to 60% possession. Uh, we were passing at a much 
better rate, uh, like successfully, we had six total shots. All six were on target. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four, um, a bunch of saves and a bunch of those from were from super close, like 26 minutes in Rubio Rubin gets behind the defense and plays a shot from in like right on the edge of the six and can't get it. He can't score like he hits it. at. I mean, he the 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 goalkeeper saves it but i mean he should he should be scoring that close he's he's extremely close all he has to do is play it back post like on the ground and it goes in it deflects goes back to alperusnak who like has a shot that's deflected there were so many of those little things and then um something that happened which was just like what what led to their first goal i guess um was Al, uh, excuse me, Aaron Herrera goes on this run and we look, it's a very promising run. And all we really have to do is just play him up all over the top. And Demir Krylock does this weird like back heel thing, which gives the ball up. And San Jose immediately turns, they get the ball over to the far side of their, uh, of far side of the field. We've now got like man to man defense in the back. So that means Eric Holt and, Albert Rusnak. So it, it it is so like watching this team is so fascinating because um, like when this ball turns over, um, Aaron Herrera is way up the field. Like he is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's our second furthest man up the field, just behind in front of Rubio Rubin. Now our back line consists of Justin Glad because Miram's too far up the field too. Beasler is tracking a man. Paulo Ruiz is not tracking anyone. Um, and then in the box, we have Aaron Her- Eric Holt essentially taking on Chris Wondolowski and Albert Rusnak guarding the other man. Um, F- Fierro, is that his name? Whoever, yeah. yeah. yeah so F- it, we, have, we have Eric Holt and Albert Rusnak playing man-to-man defense on our six against Carlos Fierro and Wondolowski. And... They play a cross in. I don't know if it was Cade Caldwell or whatever his name is. Cade Cowell played the cross Cade in. Cowell just ate us up this entire game. So um, plays this cross and Holt misses. Albert isn't really there. Pachilla never had a chance. And it's a goal. And it's 1-1 in the 37th, which is just... I mean, it was shocking... But it was more shocking that we hadn't scored more. I, I wasn't shocked that they got a chance that like that they scored because it felt like all they needed was one like that. That that was going to be enough. To, I mean, that might have been their first shot on target. I'm, I I can't remember if it was or not. Um, it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was because they had so many passes that were like that that I felt like were they were just about to to, to go in. So just. Everyone in the stadium is like kind of blown away. Um, there were shouts for offside here. It wasn't end up called. And then um, the rest of the half kind of just continues and nothing good from RSL. And then San Jose get a corner kick. Um, it, there was a there was a foul shout on the other end, which should have been called. So at the very end of the first half, Rubio, Rubio Rubin nutmegs the defender. And as he's passing the defender, the defender like reaches and grabs him and pulls him back and impedes his progress. Rubio Rubin falls, probably didn't need to fall, but he fell hoping to get the call. Should have got the call, even if he just like put himself on the ground because it was a foul yeah that's something that you see called as a yellow card everywhere else on the field this defender already had a yellow a foul wasn't given if a foul was given it should have been a yellow so that would have been a second yellow um wasn't called just 
nothing other ball goes to the other end san jose gets a corner it's the 40 it's the it's 45 plus two right now and um they take a corner kick and chris wandalowski just uh it was zonal defense in a way and he just gets up and over the two guys at the back post eric holt like just nothing wando buries it so no so I struggle to blame Holt because well, that's who he jumped it, over. Right, like, but what happens is someone else before that. So. Yeah, what happens is they they basically just set a pick on the defender. Like yep. they played basically the exact same corner every single time. They had ten corners throughout the game. We had zero. That sucks a lot, by the way. Um, yeah. Anyway, they played basically the exact same corner every time. They play a short kick to somebody who kicks it to the back post. Yeah. And what happened this time is Wando, being smart and being Wando, is I think it was Aaron Herrera is who was marking yeah, him, or at least who was close to him. We have we have Holt Herrera against Cowell and Wandelowski. Yeah, and Cowell, Holt's guarding Cowell, which is yep. fine. And Herrera's guarding Wando, which is not sort great, of. but whatever. <laughs> he gives him like a lot of space. When I said zonal marking is like, he's not yeah. like close to him he yeah, lets he's, Wando he's run and tight, jump but then Wando just goes around Cowell and Holt yeah which just screens Herrera out of the play completely yep and how is Holt supposed to know that he's supposed to switch there and not only and now he did Holt's, know Holt's he's from he a, doesn't have time yeah and he's from a standing position having to jump upwards when Wandalowski's running and jumping over the top of him like yeah. never so, had a chance there credit just, to credit yeah. to San Jose it's a well-worked corner it's a bummer yep. that we suck at I shouldn't say we suck at defending corners, but it's a it's a bummer that we gave up the goal on the corner. Especially a bummer that we gave it up to Wando. Especially, especially a bummer that we gave it up right before halftime. Yeah, like very, very, and it was also confusing because it hit his header hit the bar yeah. in the goal <laughs> and it just shoots right out. So I, I like it was confusing to see if that actually was Usually, a goal or visually not. from the press box. It was a little weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then, I mean, RSL go into the half, just, I mean, insane to be down one to one to two to San Jose at home after the first, after the start that RSL had, it was absurd. Um, yeah, so then it's, it's, I mean, there was nothing from RSL coming out of the half, just looked incredibly no, flat. Um, more of the same. Yeah, absolutely more of the same. And just like, like way less. I mean, looking like a completely different team from the first 30 minutes. They come out of half looking way more sluggish than they did going in, and there's just no pressure at all. So then in the 69th minute, um, just uh, from, I think it was, oh, it was just a cross. No, this from, is, no it wasn't a cross. This was my favorite goal that we gave up. Um, this is the no, one that... No, no, so our cross. So Everton plays... A, uh, yeah, so no, you're totally fine. So Everton plays a very not good cross into the San Jose's goalkeeper. And at this point, we now have like our entire team <laughs> like way far forward. And then they have... Seven, seven out of ten players are like in the attacking... Yep. Third. One, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven are in or equal to the 18. And they throw the ball, and now it's Beasler chasing Cade Cowell, and it's Glad and it's Holt uh, in the back, guarding, uh, like covering Wando, cu- trying to get over it to Cowell. So then it's Cowell versus <laughs> Glad and Beasler. <laughs> And he just goes right between both just of them. Smokes them. Like they're not even there. Like, I mean, I don't know, man. 
this is this is my favorite goal that we gave up, and I'll explain why. Because Please. this is this is exactly the problem with this formation. Yeah, it is so incredibly easy to get the ball in behind, and then once you get in behind, you've got three defenders that are ostensibly three center backs, but now you're forcing one of those center backs to come out wide. Yep, and once you do that, then you have what should be Herrera and Holt, but in this case is Beasler, 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 and, and anyway, it's not a center back that has to play center back now. But they're playing it out wide, and as soon as you beat one of those guys, and Cade Cowell is the guy that is going to beat that guy ninety percent of the time. As soon as you beat your one guy, you're basically one on one to the keeper because anybody else that's back defending has to track a runner. Yep. So it's it's the easiest way to break us down is exactly this. You it's, get it's, a ball. It's how Portland murdered us over and over and over again. Yeah. You, you get a ball out wide and then all of a sudden you're basically one V one. And once you beat that one V one, you're one V one, the keeper, because the yeah. other guys have to track runners. And if they don't track the runner, then they come over they're late. So it's, it's just, it's so easy to score on this team that way. And that's exactly what San Jose did on not every single goal, but that's most of the goals that we've given up to San Jose yeah. to like any other team that we played. They just get it behind our quote wing back. Yeah. That's being it, asked to play defense, except they're not playing defense dude, because they're attacking players. Yeah. It, it's insane that we keep doing this and we keep wondering why we're giving up goals and yeah. we keep blaming things like individual mistakes. You can't put that goal on Beasler or glad because they did what you want them to do. They just yeah. got beat. Sometimes well, yeah. they get beat. Like, uh, by, like by the time Cal is in the box, like it's it's just way too late. Like yeah. he gets the ball uh, with like the entire field open at the at the halfway line. He's got Beasler behind him, and he's got Holt and Glad just trying to get back as quickly as they can. But yeah, by the time anyone can get pressure on the ball, he's already inside the 18. And at that point, all he has to do is make like, I mean, to his credit is a good move, but like it's way too late. (laughs) But that's the thing we're we're counting on. We're we're set up to count on our center backs not getting beat. Yeah. One on one or off the dribble. Exactly. By someone who's way faster than them. Way faster and way like that's the thing. They're going to get beat by that guy. Yeah. Like kind of often you can't, you have to play defense by not letting that guy get into that position. Exactly. You have to be able to keep that from happening because if that happens, you're going to give up goals and you can't really blame it on individual mistakes at that point. If that's what the, that's the result of the formation that you're playing. That's the result of going forward so much. Spencer, uh, Spencer Warren said it on Twitter. Like, after that goal, like we just fell right into their trap. San Jose straight up was just playing the counter on that. And yep. they knew that they could break on the counter there because we're playing seven guys forward. <laughs> and they've got Cade Cowell, yeah. who's one of the fastest and best dribblers in the league. Yeah, they're just going to launch it 60 yards forward to Cade Cowell, who's just going to beat our center back. And if it doesn't work that time, guess what? It'll happen three more times and one of those will work. It's- yeah. And it, that's what we were seeing in the first half. And so that's why like, it wasn't surprising to see like it really felt like just a matter of time. Yeah. And in the first half, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but the risks kind of almost felt worth it because we were generating so many chances. We were yeah. like coming so close to scoring constantly. So like that's the gamble that Pablo is making here. 
And in the first half, it looked like it was me. It was probably going to pay off because we looked like we were going to score four goals in the first half. We scored one <laughs> and then gave up two. And then we continued to play the same way, except San Jose just got better at defending the chances that we were creating. And we got we were doing the exact same thing defensively leading to this goal. Like, so yeah, I saw a lot of that, like that same thing you were saying about individual mistakes. What individual mistake are we seeing here (laughs) for this goal? Like on this goal specifically, if you're calling it an individual mistake, you're blaming Glad or Beasler. Or I guess Everton for being the one to play the cross that like left, like why you were just the extra man forward when you didn't need to be. But even but then it's, it's like that that's part of the system too. When you say yeah, like everyone just has full reign to go forward, except Eric Holt. It's like, this is, this is the game that I want. Like it's way too late in the season to really drive this point home. But this yeah. game is a perfect encapsulation of like, this is how Pablo plays. And when it works, it's great and it's fun and it's awesome. But if you can't score, three or four goals well two or three goals yeah you better be on all your chances then you're gonna give up goals yeah so even even though if even if the team is eliminated from the playoffs and even if you are playing at home this system is going to give up goals when you were talking about the first goal and you said like nobody was surprised that it happened like yeah of course not this team like is designed to give up goals it's also designed to score a lot of goals we did score three goals in the game but unfortunately, this time we didn't score four. They did like this team is designed and set up in such a way that we're going to have five and six goal games constantly. Yep. Seven goal <laughs> games aren't unheard of. Yeah. We just need to be able to score the three or four three or four from them. Yeah, and we didn't do it this game. And that's the danger of this style is it's, it's not a secret about how to beat this style or how to score four goals on rsl it, it's yeah. not it's just yeah. a matter of who is able to finish and who is able to be clinical yeah and if you're not the clinical team that that day you're gonna lose and we were yep. clearly the better team like on the field and we clearly quote dominated like we've heard so many times before um we actually did like create way more chances and we put way more shots on goal but if we're not finishing them, if their keeper just has a good day and we had a bad day, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's the frustrating thing about this formation, but that's also like, I mean, it's fun. It's an entertaining game. Twitter was a light with everybody watching this game and just having a bunch of fun, (laughs) but it sucks a lot when it's RSL and you lose at home. Yep. Just simply because like of the way you play, like, this team is not a team that should be giving up four goals a game. We've done it. We did it for two thirds of the season. We were a good defensive team. And now all of yeah. a sudden we're a terrible defensive team and people are wondering like, what could go wrong? How could we have so many individual mistakes? We don't. Yeah. And we just have a system that is catered to exactly. giving up goals. That's what's so fascinating to me is like the, uh, people, I mean, like I saw, like our, our dear listener, um, Bob was like talking about, like that exact point you're making, like going from one of the best defenses in the league to like one of the worst as soon as Pablo takes over and people like 
questioning if that's legit or not. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. like, and, and, like, of course it is. And I, I don't like we have the exact same players we had then and we weren't hemorrhaging goals. Like, of course, it's the system. And we can say that, like, bringing in another like a, a new six would make a difference. And it might it, it very well could help. But like, that's not who we have right now. We have the same players that we had when Pablo took over when, you know, from Freddie, when we had like one of the best defenses in the league. So I, I think, um, and then their fourth goal, uh, like, and I, I think this one's particularly interesting as well, because I saw blame going a, a few different ways here. Yeah. Um, so RSL, uh, tries to play out of the back a lot of the time. Um, and this was a, one of those, one of those moments where, um, we had the ball, we were kind of just passing it around the back, kind of, I mean, not with a lot of purpose. The ball goes to um, Eric Holt, who immediately, from Ochoa to Eric Holt, who, um, I mean, ideally he turns with the ball here instead of bobbling it back the other direction and putting us in a worse position, but it is what it is. Um, he passes the ball back to Ochoa, and when Ochoa gets the ball, at this exact moment, we have... Uh, five San Jose players surrounding three RSL field players while Ochoa has the ball. And then we've got Wondolowski putting some light pressure on Ochoa. So when Ochoa plays the ball out of here, he passes it right to the top of the 18, which is where Nick Beasler is. The ball is kind of uh, putting it's to Nick Beasler's inside rather than the outside. So he immediately already has to turn inside towards the goal. And at this point, those five players that were surrounding the three RSL field players are even more closed in now. Um, he's got Wando in front of him. And he's got uh, Jackson Ewell behind him who applies the immediate pressure. And Nick Beasler is in a very bad position now. <laughs> and he uh, is just far too slow. Jackson Ewell just runs up on him, strips the ball, and just buries it over Ochoa um, to make it four. And then is really annoying to the South end and then pisses off Everton. Um, so can I, I, can I talk I, I about a couple of things about this? Goal? Sure. Yeah. So this is another one that a lot of people are blaming individual mistakes on and who scored. I noticed credited Beasler with an error that led to a goal, which is fine. I'm happy to let people blame Beasler and I'm happy yeah. to let people blame Ochoa, but I want to make a point about how this is again, a tactical choice to play out of the back. And if it's a tactical choice to play out of the back, these are the kind of situations you're going to put yourself in, especially if you're playing against a team like San Jose, who all season and the entire time they've been coached by this coach has been a pressing team. Yep. They want to press and defend man to man and create exactly situations like this. You should know that going into this game. You should know that you probably don't want to play out of the back as much as possible and that's a thing that pablo has said before they don't really want to play out of the back they don't really want to involve the keeper they don't want ochoa to be involved in particular which is fine and that might be because they don't have any faith in ochoa's ability to pass i have no idea but when you play goalkeeper and I, I don't pretend to be a good goalkeeper but i played it a little bit as a kid and there's two lessons that i remember that were like the first things you're taught as a goalkeeper and one is if you make a save you got to put it to the side like if you just yep. block the shot with your hand, you can't put it to the middle. You also cannot pass the ball to the middle, especially if you are not standing right in front of your net. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. He passed it directly yeah. to the middle, to the top of the 18. So that's bad, bad, bad on Ochoa's part. It's bad that Nick wasn't 
really ready to receive the it, pass. It was bad from Holt. It was bad from Beasler. It was bad it, from Ochoa. But those are all symptoms of this, of, this, of this system that we're deciding to implement here. Exactly. And I sent you a screenshot in our in our Slack. Um, look where look where our players are in, the, in this moment. So yeah, it's look exactly how many San Jose players there are. Yes, it's seventy. This the min, the exact second count is seventy eight forty eight. This is the moment Ochoa lets go of this ball or gets the ball and lets go of it. There are five those five San Jose. Like why is this? not a clearance out of like look exactly. where everton everton is at midfield this is straight a clearance <laughs> situation like even if you are a team that's like we're gonna play it out of the back and you that insist on doing that and you are very good at it this is a situation where the ball should just be cleared you're going to lose possession you'd rather you lose it at the midfield than at the top of your 18 yeah like I- so, I'm not on board. I mean, obviously, Beasler was slow at the ball, and he like that was bad. But like, yeah, but that's, why again, is he like being Beasler, put in that situation? <laughs> Beasler is in a situation where he shouldn't be the guy that you make that exactly. pass to. Exactly. We know who Nick Beasler is. Why would you put him in it's that position? Even, it's, it's not even a Nick Beasler thing. Any player in the world that is in that position, yeah, that too, <laughs> should not be receiving that pass because he's covered multiple times and also Ochoa is not in front of his goal and it's di- it's straight up the middle. Yeah. So it's it's right at the top of the 18. So there's failures all around and I I feel like it's a systematic like um what's the word tactical failure. Yeah. But if you want to call that an individual mistake on Ochoa or Beasler or Holt or whoever like you're not wrong. I'm not going to say that you're wrong at all, but that's clearly a decision that the team has made to play it out of the back. Yeah, um, contributed to that. So it's really, it's really it's, intriguing the times we decide to like make like a, just a worthless clearance forward versus a like pass like that. Like this, yeah. Some of the times we'll be like dominating possession. We'll be swinging the ball back and forth, and all of a sudden we get a Justin Glad ball that's just like to no one, um, eighty yards over the top. And then yeah. other times it's like, no, we're playing out of the back, even when it's going to put Nick Beasler in imminent danger. <laughs> yeah. Like, so anyway, so that's the fourth goal. Um, yeah. then, then the game just gets like really weird. Um, oh, so out of control. So that's yeah, like, in the 79th minute. We've got yeah. 10 minutes left. Everything's pissed at this point. Like everyone's getting really mad. Like everything is really chippy. Yep. Um, then like 85th minutes, it's one, four, um, Aaron has like some cha- uh oh this is the cross thing where he like Aaron plays like a really weird cross that's like lofted Julio misses it Bobby Wood like does like a half like scissor kick and just misses it and then lays on the ground in like a really weird way and then Chang is just sitting there at the back post and just gets it because of how insane the Bobby Wood thing was no one saw what was coming next which was just Chang getting the ball so now it's four he, two. He buries it. And this is this is a perfect example of like the kind of chances that we can create as a team. That yeah. we these are the ones that are like the half chances that like everything falls apart. And if you score on this one, that's like the XG on this play is insanely low. So when you score like on this one, it's incredible. Yeah. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Julio actually got a touch on that one to put it kind of out of Bobby's reach. I didn't notice. Yeah. So Julio, did Julio get an assist? Julio gets credited with the assist because he's a champion. Nice. (laughs) I didn't realize that actually went off his head a little bit. That's really funny. So yeah, the cross. Yeah, these are the chances that these are the chances that if we're creating chances like we were in the first half, we should have two or three goals. (laughs) These are the chances that if we bury him, we should be icing the team for sure. Game should be over, over, but. 
now we're two four because we gave up. Yeah, I mean, four terrible goals. Exactly. Yeah, Ruby Rubin himself should have had two goals in the first half. But yeah. anyway, so then then in the ninety. 90 plus two Aaron Herrera has got like this weird thing where he tries to cross it and then he slides and saves it after it was deflected. And then he plays a left footed cross in the Albert Rusnak who, uh, like half volleys it. And then it goes off the keeper's hands off the post, off the keeper's hand again and in, um, and then, you know, it was 92 plus four was the, was the end of the game. So we only had two minutes to get the last two and, uh, or the last one, I guess yeah. to try to get a one point out of it. Didn't happen. Um, game ends four three, which based on, I mean the second half, like it, RSL was not close in the second half. I mean the scoreline, obviously four three, which is this, is that the same scoreline it was when we won in San Jose four three? Uh, could be, I think, I think so. it that was sounds correct. I mean, it wasn't a close second half. Obviously, RSL were the better, like they're a better team and they had stuff to play for and they were at home and hadn't lost and hadn't lost, had only won in the last seven games at home and then just got played off the field, quite honestly, and then showed up in the last eight minutes with some like very intense pressure and were able to snag a couple. But it was just, it, it was, it was an incredibly frustrating game. Um, just all around. I, I didn't think anyone was particularly great on the day. Uh, Miram, I thought really, really struggled, which sucked because he was so good as a sub the other day. But like, um, yeah, I didn't think, I, I don't know. No one stood out to me. Obviously Albert got two goals, so that's good. Um, and of course, like with those two goals, he becomes the, uh, hat tip. I think I'm, that's what I'm supposed to do to Tyler Gibbons, who said um, he's the only player in club history to have a ten a ten plus goal and ten plus assist season. Jeff Cunningham was the only other RSL player to do that, and that was back in 2006. Um, I don't, yeah, so like Albert was good, but like uh, uh, watching Albert with this team is really interesting because like uh, we say a lot of the ways that we or like the reason we play this formation or whatever is to get Albert far forward. And there are times when that happens, but like if you watch Albert a lot of the time, it's very intriguing to see how deep he has to go to provide passing support for our center backs because we're planning to play out of the back and Everton and whoever's with him is like almost never providing that option in like a meaningful way. Like it's almost Albert is just Maybe that's part of the game plan. I don't know. Well, that's but Albert is dropping far, so far back. It's very interesting. That's the like the insane, like super frustrating part about this formation. Not not the one, but there's this is one of the things that's super frustrating about the way that we play this formation is, and, and this team mm-hmm. under Pablo, just in general, there are so many times throughout the games where we just don't seem to have a midfield. Yeah, Like we have defenders and they're defending and then we have like forwards that are attacking and there's like 40 yards, 50 yards of space between whoever is defending and yep. whoever is attacking. So what happens is we get the ball back out and we're supposed to recycle and we're supposed to have somebody to, you know, pass around to when glad, let's say, gets the ball at midfield. But we don't have anybody within 30 yards of him. So his only option is to either launch a ball 30 yards to somebody who's probably going to be guarded and we're doing an aerial duel or we just have to not abandon the whole attacking half, but we've just all got to come back and that takes time and the 
by that time the defense is right there so it's just it's so frustrating that there's not like an outlet for the last defender into the midfield yeah there's, so albert albert will like often fill that yeah, role because albert there's will like fill that role but it shouldn't be albert for sure like yeah. sometimes it is and that that's fine that makes sense sometimes albert's got to drop back to find the game or rubin's got to drop back to find the game or something like that that happens i get that but there should be one or two or three other guys that are way closer, but we just end up getting so compact in the attacking third, which again, like leads to chances I get, but it, yeah, the benefits of this system just do not translate to like the other side of the the game there are benefits and obviously we're a much better team in a lot of better ways Crylock's going to score more goals albert's going to get more assists and get more goals and like that's a benefit of the way that we play now which is great but it just cripples us on the other side of the ball in so many ways (laughs) that i don't like the risk reward isn't there yeah at all And, and it's insane to me that we have an interim coach who is doing this knowing that he may or may not be the coach next year instead of just simply like just riding it out throughout the rest of the season. Cause uh, Trey had a tweet where he said something about, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, paraphrase him here where he said, it's difficult to criticize Pablo for this because he's changing the formation mid season. He doesn't have the chance to build the roster. He doesn't have a chance to do all the trainings because of a congested schedule that it would really take to like really get this formation going. And I, all of that's true, which (laughs) makes it insane that he's doing it. Do it. (laughs) If you can't do it, if you don't have the time, if you don't have the roster, like why are you doing it? Mm This is, this is the number one thing. Like if we had the off season and Pablo then wanted to institute this and he was able to cut a whole bunch of players and he was able to sign a whole bunch of players that would make this system work much better. If he was able to sign three more center backs and if he was able to get rid of a bunch of the wingers that don't play defense and get more defensive wingback type players to play in their position, I'm on board. That's great. That's genius. That's brilliant. This will be fun. But as it is now, like, we don't have the players and we just keep giving up the same goals and we keep losing games that we probably shouldn't. Yeah. And it just, it gets insane at some point to like yeah. try to defend it. Like we are, where we are at this point. We know what we're going to get and it's insane that we make the decisions that we make sometimes. Yeah. So, so with that game, RSL falls out of playoff. Well, that game and then following some other results that weekend, RSL are in eighth place in the Western Conference. They're 13, six, and 13. Um, they have played 32 games um, and they are eighth place behind Vancouver, who have already, who have also played 32 games and are two points ahead of us. Um, Portland, who are in fourth place, have also played 32 games, and they're they're a 49 points. So the stretch between fourth place and eighth place is 49 to RSL's 45 points. LAFC have played 32 games as well; they have 44 points. So it's LAFC and Salt Lake on the outside looking in um, at teams that RSL should be ahead of. Quite honestly, like not getting points at Chicago, not getting a point at Chicago, and not beating San Jose. I mean, if RSL get uh, you know, 
if RSL get those four points, one one at Chicago, three against San Jose, they're looking to be tied with Portland and LA for fourth and fifth. Like that's that's where we're at. But uh, instead, that's not what happened. So we're on the outside looking in, and then we play uh, a a pretty decent Portland side. Um, I mean, they are a really weird team themselves, but um, they just barely beat that San Jose team pretty handily. Uh, and now we play Portland next Wednesday, um, or I guess this Wednesday, sorry. And it, at the Kyle Becker and the Kyle Beckerman, um, whatever night, I don't know. They're honoring Kyle Beckerman. In memoriam. Kyle Beckerman in memoriam. I was just looking at, uh, where did somebody post it? Um, the schedule for the Kyle Beckerman thing. I was just going to want to look at that real quick. While you're doing that. Um, oh, I found it. But we yeah. are playing Portland next, and the team that we're basically now competing with for for the last two spots um, is Vancouver. They've still got two games to play. Yeah, Minnesota only has one. Um, who's right above them? But Minnesota just beat Sporting Kansas City, so yeah. Um, but they still only have one game left, which is one yep. opportunity to earn more points. Um, so RSL can. Not easily, but they can jump over Minnesota. Uh, yeah, Vancouver though, have does to. have two games. Yeah. And one of them is against LAFC. And mm-hmm. the other is against Seattle. Ooh. So I think there's some rivalry in there. Yeah, there is. And I know. Um, <laughs> that'll help. Yeah. I mean, so Arsenal play Portland on Wednesday. And then on Sunday, we play at Sporting Kansas City, which. Yeah. So um, real rough end of the schedule for yep. both Vancouver and RSL, both teams who are looking like at this point going to be fighting over that seventh spot yep yeah so on wednesday we have the kyle beckerman night event rundown at six o'clock we have the secret fun reveal part one okay 6 30 to 7 45 kyle's doing autographs 8 10 kyle's escorted to the midfield tunnel 8 18 parade and flag enter the field 8 20 crowd welcomes kyle on the field 8 21 a highlight video is played on the big board 8 23 we have a jersey presentation 8 24 kyle addresses the crowd 8 28 secret fun reveal part two 8 30 kyle exits field 8 38 kickoff 9 25 p.m the halftime tribute video is played on the big board how um, much how much are we gonna bet that Kyle Beckman does not take up four minutes for remarks? <laughs> I hope he does. I hope he speaks <laughs> for four minutes straight and then we do some most people have ever heard him talk. Um so I like I saw I, I guess kind of where we just wanna end it before we go into this next game on Wednesday. Um there's a lot of talk on Twitter and from other RSL media folks talking about like what this team needs in the off season. If uh, specifically talking about the KSL guys talking about uh, how RSL needs a true number six in order to play like the system that Pablo has, has been attempting to implement here with, with what we've uh, been, been doing. And I'm wondering what, if you think that's something that we're in, we're in dire need of, um, or if you think we need players elsewhere in other positions. I mean, a true number six is like the the smart answer to that question, to yeah. be honest, because like that's a critical component. That's very easy. The easy answer to that question is we need more and better center backs, center backs that are into playing the system and want to play the system and, and can buy in. I think we've got one center back that was kind of forced into this position playing this formation and didn't appreciate it whatsoever. Yeah. It would be nice if we could recruit center backs 
letting them know, hey, this is what we're going to be doing yeah. before they get here. Um, so that's the easy answer. Um, the second easy answer is we need like wingbacks like the Miram and um, Chang kind of that positions. Position. Yeah. We need guys that will play defense. If, the, if, if we're asking them to play defense and I'm not convinced that we are, but, but if we, we are, are convinced, we aren't, we aren't, we aren't in actuality, but we are calling them wingbacks. Apparently. Right. And if we're going to ask them to play defense and the fact is that we're just dealing with guys that just can't or don't play good defense. Yeah. We need guys that can play on the defensive side of that position. Agreed. If that's what we're going to do. And then after that is the number six. Now, which one's more important? I I don't know. But that's where I think that answer comes in is it is a smart answer. We definitely do need better sixes, Mm -hmm. um, one or two that are better. Um, Yeah, Spano used uh, Calvin Phillips as the example. And that would be, I mean, a player will obviously not going to. I don't know. Maybe we get Calvin Phillips. (laughs) I mean, but like, yeah, that type of player, like, um, that is certainly something that that true fulcrum that the anchor i mean like i mean like it, kyle it, was quite it's honestly it's a position that in this formation cannot be overlooked it's definitely one that like you will fail if you don't have one so i i really like that answer from those guys but yep. i think we definitely need to take care of the easy ones before we start worrying about that one yeah yeah there's i mean it's kind of like i mean it's it's a pretty big shift in every type of in every position on the field it's switching to a, like what the system that he's trying to implement here right i mean maybe albert's position stays somewhat the same um maybe your box to box that's next to the number six maybe that person stays the same and like you know you've got a, a striker pairing up top it's weird that it's demir krylock but that's fine um, with Rubio Rubin, but everywhere else on the field, like these wing backs, these center backs, um, you know, depending on what the strikers are doing or being asked to do in this system, it's like that's a lot of positions that you need to find someone to play. And when you're saying that players like Joni Menendez are just a victim of the system we're playing, it's like, okay, but we signed him and we're paying him a lot of money and he's a great player. So, like, uh, should we still be playing the system we're playing if we don't have the players to play it? I don't know. Maybe not. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure. This is this is what I'm saying. I yeah. I do not understand why Pablo didn't just ride this out to the end of the season. Yeah, that's like the whole discussion around like what we need in the future is fine, and especially yeah. if like that's what we're moving toward. And it it just feels like a bummer to use like the players we have, knowing the players we have. And potentially crash out of the playoffs because we just gave up four goals at home to San Jose because we were stubborn enough in the system we're playing. That like that that is is frustrating to me. Like I know like the expectations were low and we can always like if you would have asked me at the beginning of the season if RSL at forty eight points or whatever at the end yeah yeah I get it but it's like. I don't know. We we knew what we had. We knew what had been working and what wasn't working. And we just threw it all out the window and started from scratch with the same set of players, leaving some of the new big, bigger signings and the highest paid players off the field. And uh, for it's working and then not working. Well, <laughs> so, at the end of the day, and I, excuse me, I didn't run the numbers on this, so I might be off and I might be wrong, but quick numbers in my head points per game that we were getting under Freddie versus points per game that we've got under Pablo with this complete formation change. If you just throw that Vancouver game away, um, or I should say, even if you throw that Vancouver game away, 
I think it's about the same. Yeah, that's what I think that's what Trey was saying on Twitter. <laughs> it's it's virtually like you're still at the end of the season, you were gonna get the same result, same points wise, same result. We were gonna be somewhere between forty five and fifty points. Whether Pablo took over, whether he changed the formation, and uh, whether we allowed yeah. four goals six times but, I mean, under Pablo, but but like at the same time, like what happens if you stick to the system we we're playing before, but add in Johnny Menendez and Tony Dakovich instead of yeah, like in in a normal four back system, like that was another point I didn't make it, um, haven't made it yet, but I told you this is basically the starting eleven that we were so excited about at the beginning of the season. Yeah, we had Herrera and Brody, um, Holt and Glad. We weren't really excited about Holt, but we had two center backs. We had Brody and Herrera on the outside, and the midfield basically the same situation that we were dealing with. And yeah. it was successful. It was good. It was really good. It was probably the best RSL we've seen this season. But now we roll out essentially the same starting eleven in this formation, and look what happens. Mm-hmm. Like we have the answers. We have the keys. We're just not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so interesting to me. It's like, it felt like, you know, getting everyone healthy, getting these new players in and getting getting them integrated into the system we had, because I don't know if people remember, but like before Freddie left, there was like a lot of reassurance. That's like, oh, we've got these new guys. They're getting fit. We've got Bobby. He's getting fit. We got Joni coming in. He's, he's going to be great. We've got Tony to shore up the defense. Um, like, don't worry about the points that we're seeing right now from Freddie. Like, they, they, of course, like we're dropping some here and there, especially from winning positions, which was very concerning, which also we did yesterday or Saturday. Um, we're, yeah, we're dropping points from winning positions, but don't worry. We've got these guys coming in and like things are going to be looking up and we've got those guys in and now it's like. Well, actually, we like this new system, I guess, even though it's it's yielding the same results except now we've got more better players than we had then and we didn't get that like those signings were supposed to be like a bump right? yeah yeah exactly we That's what I'm like, saying. Like, the same thing and we were supposed to get, get better here. yeah the guys got here then we changed everything and it's and not then better. now they're not playing <laughs> we just we just neutralized all the good that those signings that's did. what it feels like it's like we're, we're on the same trajectory we were on before we added these new pieces and it's like why did we add the new pieces then yeah maybe i don't i mean we didn't see freddie leaving obviously but i mean you know when pablo came in he said he wasn't going to change anything and here we are so he wasn't there were going to be no big changes except for all of the big changes yeah except so. the whole thing would change all of anyway it. yeah the only thing that didn't change is our points per game yeah yep and like I, I'm fine throwing the Vancouver result out, but yeah, like I mean, like Trevor was saying, I mean we're basically same points per game, but we'll see. That WL 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 form is very interesting to look at on Fop Mob. I guess that's pretty fun. <laughs> um, yeah. That so my, Wednesday, that was genuinely my fear going into this game. Was yeah, like this is the stupid like gambler logic in the back of my head. We do a loss. <laughs> Yeah, like we have the streak, we set the record. Like that just means we're going to lose very soon. Like the streak doesn't mean that we're going to keep winning right. at home. The streak means that a loss is coming very soon. It's imminent. Yeah. Yeah, man. I uh, I feel the same way. Like that's how my brain analyzes all that type of thing. It's just like 
It's only a matter of time. Yeah. And then, uh, this is not sustainable. This seven yeah, wins Which is a thing. bummer. <laughs> I hate feeling like that because it just makes me you kind of get a sick feeling before every game, sort of. But um, I mean, I, I talked to Trey before this game and like I, I was I was intrigued by the Pablo Bees or excuse me, the Everton Beasler parent. Wait. Who started this game? It was, it was, it was Pablo. Ruiz. It was Pablo, and it, yeah, it was Pablo uh, Ruiz and Beasler. And I was, and we haven't seen that very often. And Trey told me that, like, at, in that last San Jose game, Pablo Mastroeni really liked that pairing against San Jose specifically. I don't know what he saw in that last game, but I, I mean. Uh, defensively, we were all over the place in the organization from our, I mean, Beezer was playing very defensively, but the problem was that it was just, it wasn't enough with the type of offensive breaking pressure that San Jose levied against us. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, and this is Dunny harped on it a lot on the broadcast the last couple of games. Um, and it's, it's a thing that people have harped on on Twitter <laughs> Talking about the number six, like we need somebody who will stay back and play a more defensive. If one of them goes forward, one of them stays back. Like that's all well and good if you have a team that's going to try to challenge you up the middle. Yeah, which is not what we've seen lately. Like, yeah, is the expectation that this six ends up playing like a left center back position? Like, because that's that seems to be like where we're getting just murdered. Yeah, like (laughs) the whole like defense. Speaking just defensively keeping somebody back on defense that's got to stay back and doesn't go forward on offense like is a good idea but if you have both wings wide open and the team has somebody that can exploit that then again that's another thing that just neutralizes that whole thing once they get the ball on the wing if there's nobody there to defend it if there's not a left back or a right back to immediately defend or apply pressure or not even allow that pass to happen then like your number six is kind of pointless your number six is then just tracking a runner into the middle and our number six whoever it is all season has not been great at tracking runners into the middle so we just get a ball in the middle and all of a sudden it's a goal and we're wondering what went wrong because we had our number six that stayed back but it doesn't like it doesn't matter if that's the way that they're going to attack you it's nice to have an extra body back there, but that's not what's going to stop the play from happening. Yeah. With wings wide open. That's our, our motto with wings wide open. And we can We're just play that huge Scott. Oh, geez. What's his last name? Scott Stapp. Scott Stapp. Yeah. Um, Scott yep. Stapp. Scott Stapp. Oh, Stapp. S-D-A-P-P. Yeah. There's a whole weird thing where, um, big creed uh, fans on this podcast we're creed yeah pod. but there's a whole thing where like the rapper ti stopped scott stapp from committing suicide or something or he saved scott stapp after a suicide attempt yeah the rapper ti <laughs> saved scott stapp i guess uh or yeah, like ti said that, that but ti said that uh in 2018 um and then uh, Scott Stapp kind of like back backtracked that a little bit. Like it says, like there's this article from page six that says Scott Stapp says Ti saved his life, but not from suicide. Scott Stapp <laughs> is backtracking on reports year from years ago saying that Ti rescued him from suicide, but says that the rapper did in fact save his life after an accident in 2006. Um, so I don't know where this like Ti has talked about, uh, you know, saving him from suicide. So I don't know where like that. I don't know why TI has been saying that, but um, I will say that like, I mean, he step had a psychotic break in 20. I don't know why I'm talking about this, but anyway, <laughs> I should have a Creed podcast. <laughs> so Scott step 
did not know this, has released a couple of solo albums and is currently, not currently, but is planning to tour starting in February, like as Scott Stapp, like that's his, he's touring. Yeah. You can buy tickets to go watch Scott Stapp. Yep. And openers, um, I presume, but that's crazy. Oh, we also need Seattle to beat LA tonight, right? That's not happening. I don't think that is not happening. Uh, I mean, we don't need it. It would be nice. Um, but I think honestly, like I said, at this point, I think LA is pretty firm, especially if they, if they win tonight, they're pretty much in the playoffs. Hmm. If they well, win tonight, they will be on 49 points with one game to play. And their one game to play, I think is against Minnesota. It was on 48 points. Yeah, we won't be getting a... If we make it in the playoffs, there's no no shot for a uh, home playoff game, but uh, we'll see, I guess, what yeah. happens. It's, it's not looking good. I think um, this game is like the most pivotal. I mean, this is an obvious thing to say, but this game against Portland is extremely pivotal in our playoff push chances. Right now, RSL, according to... What's that stupid website that everybody's been referring to? 538 no <laughs> it's like um sports stats chances.com or something like that trey's tweeted it a hundred times already but uh anyway they have rsl at like 57 percent chance and if we win it goes up to like 88 percent i think uh if we lose to portland it goes down to like 20 percent mm-hmm. so like like I said, this is a really stupid thing to say with two games to go in the season, but, <laughs> but it's a must win. <laughs> this is a must win, and this is a crucial game. Ah, uh, yep. So, it is. good luck RSL against Portland. Yeah, we'll on see how Wednesday, it goes. November third, two days from now. Well, yeah, it'll be a it should be a fun night. Hoping uh, all goes well with the Kyle Fest. That's not. A, I don't know why that almost started to sound like a threat. Uh, everything is going to go well at the Kyle festivities. <laughs> I just hope the game also goes well to reflect uh, the festivities that are being held. Um, you said kickoff was at. Oh, my goodness. Kickoff is at 830 on a Wednesday on a Wednesday in November on a Wednesday in November. It is going to be remember nighttime by an hour and a half first Wednesday of November. So bundle up, guys. Wait, what's the weather like that? Though? Oh, I have no idea. Let's take a look at that. Wednesday is I'm looking clear. The, sun, the sun's going to be down, so it's going to be chilly. Wednesday is Did clear. Did it rain today? Why does it say it's raining? Uh, it says it's a 100% chance of rain today. I didn't see any of that. Uh, by game time, it should be about 50 degrees and cooling. All right. Well, Probably it's going to be a, a good one. All right, folks. Trevor, any parting thoughts? Um, no, I think I've gotten off enough thoughts on this podcast already. Uh, uh, how do you say the fortune favors the bold in Latin? How was uh, the Jason uh, Christ thing? So here's the thing, because <laughs> okay. I've I've looked into this. Apparently, there's like two or three like accepted ways to say it. The one yeah. that Jason Christ used to always say was "Audentis Fortuna Juvat." Yeah, and Jake, I think it was, tweeted it a different way like two months ago. And it was something you bought Fortunus something. So I don't remember what it was, but it was. It also translated to fortune favors the bold or fortune. So, fortune something. bold the favors. Something like that. It was like some of the words got changed and like the order of the words got changed. And so it made it like a slightly different thing. 
but it still basically loosely translated the fortune favors bold. So I think well, there's two ways, but that's the way that Jason Christ used to always say it was Adentis Fortuna Ubot. Fortune favors the bold, my friends, and uh, hopefully well, I mean, we'll see because Pablo <laughs> sure has been bold. And fortune is supposed to favor us if the saying so stands. Anyway, all right, folks, we'll see you next time. Bye. Okay, bye.